thank you so much for joining us, Greg, um, here on the Dwelling Show. Bef- just before we connected, I was just, you know, thanking Greg for taking time out to join us. Um, he's a legend. Um, he's a, you know, a serial entrepreneur and, you know, real estate investor, developer. He's done so much stuff and I just had to get him on the show. Thank you so much, Greg. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And yeah, it's uh, another way to, you know, describe adult ADD, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that because you've done, you know, a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, I can obviously read your profile, but I think you can do a way better job. Just kind of tell our dual listeners a little bit about you and kind of how your journey started. Yeah, so uh, it's been 21 years and I started in the business as a builder, as a remodeling uh, contractor, handyman. I would do anything and everything uh, project wise. You know, some of my projects were $50, some of them were $500 when I first started out. So I started there, did about 250000 in sales my first year as a small remodeling contractor. And I was working for some people uh, that were renovating and, and selling houses. So I kind of learned from them what they were doing. I didn't go to college. I went in the Navy right out of high school. So I learned everything the hard way from the ground up. And uh, so I just started... Um, you know, after a while learning from people, I started building spec houses and then I started doing commercial development and land development and it just kind of grew from there. So uh, I'm self-educated. I pour into myself. I, I read and study everything I can always have my iPhone. And, and back when it was iPod, when they came out, I never had one song ever on my iPod or my iPhone. It's all books and uh, books, videos, um, courses, you know, things like that. So I bought tons of courses read tons of books about commercial real estate development, about investing in real estate, uh, things like that. And I just perfected and developed my systems over the years, uh, scaling my business, you know, the hard way just by learning and by hiring professionals to work for me and learning from them. So before I ever built a house, I had no idea how to do it. I'd never built a house, but I hired professionals that have been in the industry for a long time that, that built, you know, million dollar houses. Uh, and uh, I brought them in and learned from them and let them do their job. So that's kind of that's what I do in terms of building and scaling a company. I find professionals and experts, and I let them do their job. And the other companies I started along the way, it was kind of the same way. It was people that uh, were either in the business um, or they had an idea, wanted to start a business, and they had worked in the industry. Uh, like I had a pool spa landscaping guy. Uh, that I did a joint venture with and he was selling pools and spas to me and he said, Hey, I want to start my own company. And I was buying 30 or 40 of those a year. And, you know, I could buy them wholesale and we did a little business together and we could also sell them to other people. So it was kind of like that. Somebody who was either working in an industry or already had a small business would come to me for help and I would come alongside of them, joint venture with them and grow them and scale them. So I kind of did that along the way while I was building and scaling my own business. So first and foremost, thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, I really appreciate that. And yeah, you know, you. yeah we, we do have some, you know, military folks that listen to this show. You know, I've got listenership all over the world and in the artists, weirdest places. So, you know, just kind of going there for a second. If I'm in the military, you know, of course, I've got to finish my term in the military, but I'm also just kind of thinking of when I finish the military and get back into civilian life, um, I want to maybe do real estate, right? So yeah. what can you say to those folks out there kind of like, you know, just thinking of getting into real estate, what can they do now that they can really get, you know, literally boots on the ground in the real estate game? What can they do before that life? Yeah, well, you know, I, I know and work with a lot of people that are in the military and are doing that and uh, doing real estate on the side. So the cool thing about real estate is you can start part-time. You don't have to be uh, in the business full-time to get started. You can have a job or a career, whether it's military or otherwise, and, and get started part-time. So the biggest thing is to educate yourself. So you, you have to know about real estate 
uh, know the different asset classes, the different types of properties, the different markets, depending on what it is you want to get into, whether it's single family, multifamily, or commercial, you really need to know the numbers, you need to know the asset classes, types of properties, uh, and the different kinds of markets you can invest in. And uh, you can start small. I mean, you can start out nowadays wholesaling properties. That's not really investing. That's a transactional business, but it's a great way to get started in real estate and start learning how to invest in real estate. But you know, again, wholesaling is not investing in real estate. You're just selling the right to purchase a property. You're selling a contract. So it's very transactional. Uh, investing is more of a long-term situation where you're buying something and holding or you're buying, adding value, and then selling. Um, you know, arbitrage is just transactional, uh, you know, retail, retail real estate. So, uh, so that's the best way to get started. Just learn, educate. Uh, you can partner with other people. You can invest with other people. So there's a number of ways to get started while you have a full-time career. So um, I want to definitely go back as well. Um, so you started, you know, basically working with, you know, a construction company, you know, you know just kind of learning the business from ground up. Um, but just before you even got to that step, um, you know, what was that thing that made you want to transition from what you were doing? Um, I work with contractors a lot, you know, and sometimes I try to, you know, tell them about the business side of the investing side, but they're for the most part, uninterested, right? So, you know, why did you make that transition from just kind of being on the job, doing a $50, you know, job, just being an handyman to actually thinking, I want to do this um, properly. I want to do this, not, maybe not properly is the right word, but I want to do this as a business. Yeah, professionally scale, be a business owner, not a, uh, not have a job. So I, I'm a natural born entrepreneur. So I've always had that fire and that drive. And even as a young kid, I was cutting grass, raking yards, washing cars. I mean, literally, you know, pushing a lawnmower around the neighborhood with my gas can in tow and knocking on doors. You know, if somebody's grass was long, I'd knock on the door and offer to cut their grass. So I, I'm just wired that way. But when I started out in business, um, I was very fortunate. Again, I read a lot of books. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the premise of that book is having businesses that generate cash flow to invest in bigger assets. That's really what the story is all about. It's about owning a business or multiple businesses. It's about going from employee, employee to, uh, you know, business owner to, uh, you know, an entrepreneur, right? So a lot of small business owners actually own a job. They don't own a business. A business is, is something that operates when you're not there. And so, you know, I read that book first and the concepts really spoke to me. So I just kind of applied it. And I read a lot of other books along the way as well. And I learned how to be a leader. I, I read, and learned uh, management training and philosophy. I also had a restaurant background and I'd worked in a corporate restaurant as well. And, and I got some really good leadership training from that, uh, from that company. While I was doing construction during the day, I was working restaurants at night, managing restaurants. So I'm a hard worker. I've always worked you know, two jobs. So I knew that I wanted to scale and I wanted to grow and I, and, and I wanted to be able to create a company that existed and ran without me and not just without me, but ran better. So I say that the true mark of a great leader, the true mark of how good of a job you've done building a business is how well it runs when you're not there. Now, I'm not saying that in a flippant way to where you can just walk away and not pay attention to your business. I'm just saying if you've got systems in place and you've got great people and you've trained them, you have the right people in the right job, you should be able to take some time off and not have to worry about it you know, all day, every day. It should run and operate and you keep an eye on the KPIs and the key metrics of the business and that thing should fire like a well-oiled machine. It's really fascinating how you emphasize, you know, you just being a, a lifelong learner and reading. So it's just kind of interesting to, to hear you talk because 
I'm not saying to think you have, you know, you did pretty well in real estate and you had these other businesses, you know, the pool spa is one, you know, great example. And you've managed to be successful in every single kind of BSU business, you know, um, unit that you've, that you've acquired. Yeah. So clearly there's, there's, a, there's a pattern, right? There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a recipe here. How much of you reading um, and really just reading a lot has helped you to be so successful in this, in this businesses? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. A lot of it and reading stories about other successful entrepreneurs and how they did what they did. And, um, you know, I read a book called Managing by Harold Janine, which was one of the best management books out there. And he was a uh, he was the head of ITT, uh, multi corporate conglomerate worldwide uh, companies. And he talked about how to lead, how to manage meetings, how to delegate, things like that. So that's really the transition. It's, it's the transition between being a small business operator. Uh, owner operator and becoming a leader manager motivator delegator and that's really what I am I have my superpower my talent is I have the ability to delegate I have no problem at all delegating right so if I hire somebody and pay them I am absolutely not going to do their job and nor am I going to keep them from doing their job right so a lot of people will hire people and they will still do their job for them it, it's really amazing and it's hard for a lot of people to make that transition and to let go of control and to delegate but that's what I'm really good at. So yes, there is a formula. Most small business owners are really good at what they do. They're really good at their craft or their trade, but they're not really good business people or business owners. So the formula was really simple. Regardless of any business, number one, you're, you're a marketing company first. You have to know how to market to bring, in, uh, to bring in customers. Then the second thing is there are numbers to the operation that are gonna be consistent across the board, right? So it's, it's all about dollars in, dollars out. So that's simple economics of a business. So understanding those things, cash flow, and, and how the marketing and customer count relates to the cash flows, and then your operating costs of business. So it's people, operations, profit, right? Um, is how a business works. And you know, if you put your people first, your, your employees and your customers, um, and then focus on the operations, which is your product and your process and your systems, then the profit's gonna follow. And that's really the order of, of success in a business. So one of the first things I would do with most any business that I get involved with is I take a look at how they're operating. I take a look at their numbers and I find out what they know about their business. And you, you find that out real quick by asking, asking about the numbers. And most people don't know the numbers in their business. So that's the first thing any small business operator needs to get a grip on is uh, the KPIs. You know, where are your customers, customers coming from? What's the lifetime value of that customer? How much does it cost you to acquire that customer? And then everything from there. You know, how much is your product? What are your costs? You know, what is your overhead? Uh, how much does it take you to deliver that? How much can you deliver? What does it take to get the next level? All those different things. So most of the time, these small business operators just don't have that level of understanding. So the first thing I would do is I would put an office manager slash bookkeeper slash administrative assistant slash, you know, executive assistant slash, you know, whatever, right? So that, that first hire for most small businesses, whether it's a real estate investor, whether it's a pool spa company, a restaurant, retail, whatever it is, in order to scale, you got to have somebody watching after the day-to-day -day, uh, accounting, operational aspects of the business. And as a business owner, entrepreneur, you know, you've got a lot to do. So that's not the highest and best use of your time. Somebody else can do all that for you and present you with the reports so that you can kind of keep an eye on them and track them. So that was the first thing I would do. And the first thing I did in my business growing was I put an office manager slash 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 uh, in place that could do a number of things to take all of that administrative load off of me so I could focus on selling and I could focus on developing people, finding the right people and growing and scaling the business. 
Wow, that is amazing. I just love the way you describe, you know, kind of shifting that administrative burden of your plate to some, I just love that. That's um, fascinating, actually. Um, so, so now, you know, you, you got your, your first deal, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And you said you employed, you know, professionals, right? Um, in my mind, I'm thinking contractors. And, and I had a guest on the show who said, well, do you, have you ever thought of contractors and the first three letters is actually con? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was very, very um, interesting. So how were you able to um, find good contractors? I mean, that's still a thing, even in our business. Um, as a matter of fact, it's actually post um, flipping in dwelling. We just don't do them anymore. Um, one of the factors is obviously um, contractors. So how do you manage to, to get the really, really best of the best of contractors? Right. So there's two things. So one, I was a builder. And as I grew my business, you know, I, I was a uh, construction manager. So we had superintendents in the field managing subcontractors. So when I first started out, I had all in-house labor, all in-house employees, we were self-performing everything, and I wasn't making any money at all. So as soon as I switched that model, and started doing bigger projects and started using subcontractors, we became very profitable. So the good contractors are easy, easy to find. So let's just talk about uh, construction, you know, new construction, flipping houses, you know, those types of things that, that most people are doing, and even in the multifamily world. So uh, with renovations and new construction, you've got to go and look at the projects that are being done by other investors and other builders and look at their subcontractors. And you can tell who a good subcontractor is, you know, if they've been in business for a while, if they're, you can look at their quality of work, you can talk to them, are they showing up on time, you can talk to the builder they're working for, the other customers they're working for. Um, so the easiest way to find them if you're building new houses is to go into a uh, subdivision or a new development where a lot of houses are being built and talk to the guys that are working. And, uh, you know, uh, so that's one way to do it. Another way is to look at the MLS and look at houses that other investors are flipping and uh, talk to those investors and ask them who they're using. Uh, so that's another good way to find them. Um, and, you know, vetting them is simple. Are they licensed? Do they have insurance? Do they have good references? What does their work look like? You got to go to the job and you got to see where they're working and what they're doing and how they're doing it. Are they showing up on time? Are they cleaning up after themselves? Are they neat? Are their employees organized? Are they, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Do they operate with email and, and things like that? Uh, proper insurance licensing, you know, all of that. So as a builder, <clears throat> what I looked at the subcontractors as uh, were partners in my business. They were trade partners. So in order for us all to be successful, they had to be successful too. So not only did I pour into myself first and foremost, but I also poured into my employees in the company and I developed them. I also poured into the subcontractors that were working with us and I helped them become better at their business and I helped them become more profitable. So we were a team. We were all in it together. And we scaled real quickly. Uh, you know, my first year we did 250000 uh, my seventh year, we were doing 30 million. So we scaled very quickly. And the way we did that was by hiring really good people. Again, I'd never built a house before in my life. And within seven years, we were the largest builder in the area. And I did it by finding really good people to work for me to lead the best subcontractors. And the people that I hired brought the subcontractors with them that ha they had been using to build houses in their other companies that they were working for. So, uh, so there's two approaches. So if you're going to uh, manage projects yourself and you're going to have a project manager and you're going to manage all the subs and do that. That's one business model that a lot of investors and, and developers and flippers use. Um, so find somebody who's going to be that superintendent or project manager that's been in the industry, that's been doing it for somebody else or another company. They're going to have relationships with good subcontractors. Um, so they're going to bring those in, in the door with you. 
And then what you really want to do is help everybody be as successful as possible. You want to ask yourself on a daily basis, what can we do better? Uh, what are we not doing great? And why is that? And then, you know, we are the leaders, right? We're the leaders, we're the delegators, we're the motivators. So we have to look at ourselves first. If we're not getting a result that we're looking for, we have to first look at ourselves and our organization. What are we not doing that we need to be doing? And why is this not going right? Uh, so usually it's something in your systems. Now, the other model that I use now, so I, I no longer build myself. I'm the developer. So I hire other general contractors to work for me and they manage all the subs. So that's really the easiest, fastest way to scale and do more projects and do bigger projects. And that's kind of the model I recommend uh, for everybody who's getting into the business that's never built before. Um, the path that I went down was a long learning curve. I mean, it took seven years to get to where I was and it took a lot of trial and error and not some good subs some not some good, so good subs. But if you hire a builder that's been out there like me for 20 years, we've already been through it. We already have the good subs. You don't have to worry about it. So it's going to cost you a little bit more. But at the end of the day, when you factor the time that it takes to learn the business, find the good subs, the insurances and licenses that you have to carry, uh, all of the liability that goes along with it, all of the warranty work on the follow-up at the back end, those are all the things that people don't think about when they say, man, it's going to cost me 5% more for a general contractor. That 5% more is about 20% more at the back end if you're doing it yourself. So a lot of people just don't realize that. They don't see it. And they don't understand it. So that's what I tell people that are starting out that are flipping houses and doing new construction or even multifamily. Find qualified general contractors that are doing the kind of projects that you're doing or want to do and hire them and let them be your field operations so that you can focus on finding more deals and, and getting the deals sold. That's how you scale a business. Awesome. So I'm just kind of thinking, so you've done a ton of stuff, a ton of stuff. I was, I was literally reading, you know, your profile and I was like, when I grow up, you know, this is, <laughs> this is who I want to be. Right. You know, especially towards the end when, you know, you know, it's like, you're very active in the church and you've got a lot of nonprofits that you, that you work with. I was like that, this is who I want to be when I grow up. So definitely looking um, for some really good advice here. So first and foremost, so you, you said you went from obviously managing some of the construction projects and then to be a developer would then um, essentially manages, you know, GCs, right? Big construction companies for big, you know, scale construction. How do you think that was um, possible for you? Because a lot of people struggle with that. Like, how can I go from, you know, flipping a house to, you know, buying land for sub, you know, subdivision development, right? Or even maybe building a multifamily, um, you know, construction project. Actually, most of us as apartment indicators, we tend to shy away from big, you know, development project because we see as very risky. So how were you able to make that transition? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. So it's just opportunities that came my way as I went along and I was in a small market. So if you're in a smaller market, you have to be more diverse in what you do. If you're in bigger markets, then you can, you can find a niche and focus on that and just do that. Uh, so I had just learned along the way and the projects that I, you know, I was in a resort uh, community in, in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. That's where I was building. So I met a lot of developers that were buying beach houses down there that I was building for and doing work with. So I started learning from them and, um, and you know, watching some of the projects they were doing and, and started doing some things. And then I had to create land for myself. So I had to do some land development projects, things like that. Um, but for apartment syndicators and for people that are, are getting into it, you know, my, my path isn't always the best for everybody. So I think in this day and age, um, it, it's much better to pick something and focus on it and scale that. And that's kind of what I did. So my building business was what I picked that I focused on and scaled that provided 
the cash flow to do everything else. And all the other companies that, that came along with that were all ancillary to the construction industry except for one or two. And it was usually because I, I wanted to help somebody. I love helping people. I'm a coach. I'm a mentor. It's what I've been my whole career. That's how I built my companies. And that's how I built other businesses with other people. I just coached them. I find good operators and I coach them to success and tell them what to do. They go do it, right? And so it wasn't me out there and it's not me out there day to day doing things right now. Again, I have, if I'm doing a development project, uh, you know, I've got architects, engineers, uh, builders, you know, general contractors, all I'm doing is leading that team. I'm finding the opportunity, you know, creating the value by determining the highest and best use of that property and trying to coach all of them to their very best and get that thing done. So I'm, I'm leading the charge. I'm finding the opportunity, putting the team together, finding the financing, putting that together and creating the opportunity on the back end for everybody. So that's kind of where I evolved to. And, and that just was a natural progression. You know, as, as I got older, course 2009 forced a shift you know where I was at we, we got put out of business so I had to change my business model and I started building smaller less expensive spec houses and it wasn't it wasn't cost effective for me to do it so I would hire other builders so that's kind of where that whole process started and ever since then I've kind of done it that way but you know for the average apartments indicator uh, I would not advise trying to get into a ground-up development or anything like that especially right now in the multifamily world uh, there's a lot of projects going on. Construction costs are at an all-time high. Uh, the qualified apartment builders out there are all busy. Uh, so it's taken a lot longer to get things done. It's costing a lot more. Uh, the entitlement process is very cumbersome and difficult. So it's much easier to find an existing asset that you can either reposition or that has good cash flow. You just got to find a motivated seller with, with you know, uh, either a good or a distressed asset and then create some value there. Much quicker path to uh, to success that way right now. Yeah, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. So definitely now let's talk about, you know, um, two deals actually. One that you considered, you know, your best deal at a, you know, if, if maybe you helped someone or you made a lot of money or whatever it may be. So one great deal and then one not so great or terrible deal. And kind of what did you learn from, from those two? Yeah. So one of the best deals was my very first one, right? Where the light bulb went off. So uh, I was doing, I don't think I was building spec houses yet. I was still remodeling and I didn't have a real estate license at the time either. And this was a, my real estate agent that I was working with. And he came to me and he said, Hey, there's this lot for sale that we can buy. And I bet you we can resell it in 30 days and make a big profit. So I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know you could do that. I'd owned my second house at this time, my, my third house at this time, personal house. So I knew, you know, about buying real estate, owning a home, but I had no idea that you could flip real estate for a profit. I just didn't know that. So he comes to me with this deal and says, yeah, we can buy this lot and then, you know, um, put it on the market. We'll get it sold in 30 days and make a profit. And I'm like, well, can you even do that? Is that, is that even legal? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we went ahead. He said, uh, I put up all the money. He found the deal. I put up the money. Uh, he got it sold and we split the profit. And I think, I don't know, we made 15, $20,000 a piece. And in 30 days, I think, put up a hundred thousand or something. So to me, that was kind of a no brainer. And it, it, it's kind of what triggered uh, my thought process in getting into flipping and developing and things like that. I just didn't know. So from that point, I started building spec houses and learning how to do that. Cause again, I hadn't, I hadn't done that before. And uh, so it was really interesting that one little deal, how, how that triggered, you know, a whole lot of other things. And uh, you know um, so probably after that, the best wholesale, if you want to call it a wholesale, it was a joint venture agreement on an oceanfront hotel. So I'd buy oceanfront hotels, tear them down, and I would either sell the lots to an investor and build them houses, or I would build houses and, and sell them. 
So in this case, it was a gentleman that had an oceanfront hotel that was destroyed by a hurricane and he was trying to do condos. And he came to me and wanted to do a condo development. And I said, you can't do it. Uh, the zoning won't allow it. The best thing to do is tear it down and build houses. So he let somebody else talk him into going down the condo route. And they spent about two years, spent a couple hundred thousand dollars and they couldn't, they, they couldn't get it done. They ended up in a lawsuit with each other. So two years, two and a half years later, he walks into my office out of the blue, hadn't talked to the guy in two years. And he says, okay, I'm ready to do your deal now. Let's go build houses. And I said, okay. So we had a joint venture agreement. He was going to throw in the land. I was going to bring the money and build the houses and sell them. And we we're going to split the profits. So uh, in the meantime, I went and settled his lawsuit between him and the other guy. And I contributed to half of that cost. I didn't have to, but I did. And because uh, it was a great deal. So as I'm preparing, this is like 2007, 2008, right? So as I, it might've been late 2008, right before the, everything started to change. Um, uh, as I was preparing, getting the financing and, and getting the plans together to develop the property, um, a friend of mine had said, you know, market's getting kind of weird. And we were kind of talking about the market. He said, why don't you just sell the oceanfront lots and then you'll have this property across the street. It was two parcels that, you know, you'll be free and clear and you can just develop those. And I said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So I went to my partner and I said, hey, let's modify this. Let's go ahead and just sell the oceanfront lots and then, uh, you know, clear everything out. And then we'll own this property across the street free and clear and we'll develop that. He said, okay. So, um, so we went that route. I found a buyer, sold everything. So again, I have a JV agreement at this point, no money out of my pocket. The lawsuit that I settled, uh, the, the fee for that was coming out of the closing of this property. The money to tear the hotel down was coming out of the closing of the property from the buyer's funds. So once he closed, I, I tore the hotel down. We flipped the lots. I made like 351000 when the lots sold. He got the property paid off free and clear, and he made his money. And then we had this piece across the street left over, right? So this is the good deal. Great deal, right? All I had was a JV contract, not a nickel out of my pocket. Took about three or four months to do all this, and I made $351,000. The biggest one-time payday I'd had in my career at the time. Um, now, the second phase is this guy that was my partner goes and talks to his attorney and to a couple of his buddies, and they're like, wait a minute, why did you pay the guy <laughs> $351,000 when you could have hired a realtor to do the same thing for 3%, right? And, you know, maybe paid him $50,000. And what they didn't understand was I'd paid for half of the lawsuit, settled that, found the buyer, tore the hotel down. I mean, there was a lot that, that had to be done. So he, anyways, he's listening to his friends. He comes back to me and he says, you've made enough money. I'm not doing the deal on the other piece of the property across the street. And I said, well, unfortunately we have a contract and you can't just walk away. You know, that, that's, I've got equitable interest. We're partners. We're going to develop this or sell it. And he said, nope, you've made enough money. I don't want to do any business with you. I said, okay. So at the time there was about $40,000 that I'd paid out of pocket to tear the hotel down. And I said, all right, I'll tell you what, you don't want to do business with me. That's fine pay me the $40,000 uh, for the hotel and uh, reimburse that, uh, that the partnership was supposed to cover and, uh, and I'll walk away and you can have the property. And the property was worth about 250,000. And uh, you know, that's how I am. I'm like, you know, you don't want to do business with me? Fine. You know? And he said, nope, I'm not, I'm not paying it. You made enough money. I said, okay. And uh, he said, you're going to have to sue me. So I did. I filed suit. Um, I don't know. It took three or four months to go to court. The judge told us to settle it. The guy, and you know, the guy had no choice. I mean, he was wrong. So uh, he ended up having to buy me out for half the interest in the lot. So he ended up having to pay me another 125,000 plus the money for the demolition when he could have walked away with paying for nothing but the money for the demolition. So that deal made, made almost $500,000 on just a contract joint venture flip. Uh, so that was, that was probably the best deal I'd ever done, done in my life.
Wow. Thank you so much for sharing those. Thank you so much. So we're definitely, definitely doing into the quick round. These are going to be quick questions, really quick answers. You ready, okay. sir? Yeah. First question. What makes Greg unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next guy or the next girl? Uh, I'm a seeker of knowledge and wisdom and I'm a delegator. Next question. What was the last book that you read and what was the one thing that you picked up or learned from that book? Uh, the most recent book that I read was uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. And it was really all about knowing your market, whatever it is you're doing, drilling it down and really understanding the details of it to a scientific degree. Yeah, great book, great book. Um, last question. You've got your businesses, you're doing a lot of coaching and mentoring. Um, you're obviously helping others, you know, sharing knowledge. You're doing a ton of stuff, you know, family, church, community stuff that you're doing. What do you do for fun? <laughs> that is what I do for fun. So uh, I, I love helping people. I love pouring myself into the, into the community, into the nonprofit organizations I work with. So that is my golf. Uh, it's, it's what I do, it's how I'm wired. Now, that being said, I ski, I surf, uh, you know, I enjoy fishing, those things, but most of my time is spent on the other things. Uh, you know, I like to travel. So I do, take, I do take time off in chunks, but I like to stay busy. I like to help other people. I like to make a difference in this world. And, you know, I guess back to the first question, you know, I get things done. I make things happen and get things done. So I'm the guy that if you have an idea and you come to me, you better be ready to do it because I'm like, let's go and let's make it happen. So that, that's kind of how I'm wired. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, you know, if somebody's listening to, uh, to this show right now, fly on the wall and they're like, I, I love Greg. I want to get to know Greg. I want to connect with him. Where's the best place you know, folks can reach out to you? Uh, so my website, gregdickerson.com, all my info's on there. Uh, I answer my phone. It's 434-326-3903. People can reach out, call me anytime. And, uh, you know, I'm always available. Again, I, I outsource and delegate, so I own my time. And uh, so it's gregdickerson.com. Everything's on there. My email, phone number, a little bit about what we do. And I'm doing a number of different projects and different things and, and helping others grow their businesses as well. So I'm always around for anybody that needs some help and would like to talk. Thank you so much, Greg. It's been an absolute pleasure um, to speak with you, to meet you. Um, I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was, it was great meeting you.